0: Welcome to Documentary Die Hards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. Ren Clayton, Nick Rudolph, Sam Anderson, back again for another edition of your favorite podcast. We're going to review Youngstown Boys. It's a football related documentary. Uh, but first of all, Nick, how's it going? I, I, I think it was um, it was bath night in the Rudolph household, was it not?
1: It was. The youngest member of the Doc Diehards family. It was, uh, it, it was her bath night tonight, and, and uh, so she is, is fresh and clean and ready for a good sleep. <laughs> I was going to
2: say, Rudy, I thought that your bath night was Tuesdays.
1: Yeah, every other Tuesday, but... <laughs> uh,
0: anything else would be excess. Sam, how's it going?
2: I'm doing well, Ren. How are you doing? Are you exhausted from all your Olympic watching?
0: How can you not be? You have to stay up through the like time, Chinese time, and watch all the things happening, especially the one the important ones to hear. So, yeah, I've been putting in the work, overnights, you know, alarms and weird hours. Um, but yeah, no, i Olympics. I, obviously, I've told you that I love the Olympics, and the past couple of nights have been super full of ins- like insanely intense events, especially for U.S. related athletes and yeah I don't know I was just so last night I was watching Sean White in the qualifying for the half pipe obviously everyone knows who he is I think I've referenced him as like one of my childhood favorite athletes on one of these Mount Rushmore's before um and I was like I was surprised myself with how hard I was rooting like as he went up and down the half pipe um he had fallen on his first run of, of just two, so he needed to hit his second run to qualify. He's going to retire, so that could have been his last ever. Um, it's a big thing for, you know, the GOAT in his sport. But, I I mean, I kind of have, I don't want to say j- become jaded, but, like, I really don't root a lot anymore, even if it's, like, teams that I'm theoretically a fan of. Um, I just uh, i feel like I – I wish I did more and, you know, was more invested in a lot of sporting events, Though so I consume a ton of them. But I was like, last night, I was like nervous. I, like, it was crazy when 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 I was watching that Sean White halfpipe run. And there was a couple other things, too, that we can talk about later. But um, it, I think it's just because, I mean, it, it's probably just the combination of, like, nostalgia and, you know, he's an athlete that, for me, I've been watching since I was, like, super little and, a lot of these athletes that we're watching nowadays and whatever big big four sport is not quite the the same longevity as that so I don't know what it was but it was just a really cool kind of sports viewing experience for me last night
2: I wonder if it also plays a role that you only really get to see him what every like two to four years and so you're not like rooting for him consistently you know yeah That's it's cool.
0: the scarcity sure that definitely plays a factor in Yeah, no, it's just super cool. And I'm going to have another, uh, we'll tease ahead to our um, duck wish list. um, Another cool moment last night, but um, let's get into this documentary. I know we want to jump into Youngstown Boys, which is um, a documentary that came out first in December 14th of 2013, directed by Jeff and Mike Zimbalist. Um, It is a documentary about Maurice Claret, most, uh, most centrally. He is a former Ohio State running back uh, from Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, Youngstown Boys, the title is because of Claret and Jim Tressel, who was his head coach at Ohio State, formerly of Youngstown State. Um, so they both kind of had that tie. Tressel is from Ohio, but I don't believe he was born and raised in that city of Youngstown, uh, a different town, not too far from there. But uh, this kind of take, takes place in the early 2000s. Uh, I, I believe Jim Trestle got the job at Ohio State in 2001. And then um, the same year, Maurice Claret signed, um, you know, his letter of intent, and ended up going there. And they went on to win the national t- title, the BCS, as it was called then, um, going undefeated Have a, at first sight, a you know, movie script type season for both of those those guys, and then um, a lot of other controversy kind of came into play afterward. Afterward, and then yeah, there was some NCAA violations that uh, Claret, uh committed, and there was a whole bunch of weird, sketchy stuff with the Ohio State administration, the athletic director, and conflict between uh, Maurice Claret and. Uh, I think his name was Andy Geiger, the AD, them kind of going after each other. Then ultimately, Claret tried to enter the NFL after just one season. He sued the NFL, um, thought it was going well and ended up not. Long story short, he gets that he just plays the one season of college football, Um, gets in some trouble, ends up going, having to, after he was drafted by the Denver Broncos, and this is a really long, monologue by me, but um, he was drafted, failed there, had become an alcoholic before that. That was part of the reason why he had such a short stint in the NFL, went back to Youngstown, started, uh, you know, dealing drugs, got arrested, and, and then this kind of, this documentary is made kind of after he's been out for a little while of prison. He was there for almost four years and has turned his life around. So I'm going to shut up now. Um, Nick, what did you think of this documentary I just went on for a long time this move the documentary was almost two hours yeah it was uh it was a long one for sure
1: um thought I gave a good glimpse uh with uh you know Maurice, Maurice Clorette as he you know went through his childhood or, or at least you know um in the high school and just as he was gaining prominence and and then um in Ohio State pretty thorough look at his freshman year Um, went through uh, them winning the national championship and then kind of reversed back a a reverse cycle to um, give us context on the whole situation of uh, you know what all the drama I guess you could say at the end of the um, end of the uh, season was and then even during the season so um, I thought it was pretty you know pretty thorough Um, maybe got a little old uh, near the end just with some of the um different trials and tribulations that he had uh uh near the end of the dock and with his um you know well i don't know if it's off the field by that but uh you know alcohol um issues and uh getting into the nightlife of things and um i thought it was interesting for me to look back on it and then think of me as a as a kid um where maurice claret um in you know at, at ohio State, and then what i viewed him as taking a couple of years off before he went to the nfl and just wondering why he wasn't putting things together and it, it seems to me, i mean when he had when he was so addicted to alcohol or, or into that life and that was taking away from uh, his his focus then uh, you know that's obviously the reason that uh, or that was playing a big role into his performance on the field so what about you sam
2: yeah um just reflecting on you know this is one of the only stories that has been covered so far that we can remember from our childhood and i remember that uh, national title game ohio state versus miami and first of all i was like fully convinced for about 10 seconds during this doc that miami won the national title and i was like what i thought ohio state won the national title and it was very confused and then it turns out that a pass interference was called a really late past interference and I can't imagine how dramatic that must have been. Um, or I remember watching it, but I don't remember that specifically. I guess I was too young, but, um, yeah, just what a story and it really shines a light into, you know, I guess just how much Maurice Claret kind of got screwed over is how I interpret it. I know that, you know, according to NCAA rules, he, he broke the rules, but there's just so many what ifs uh, during this documentary. Um, you, you know, what if his car had never broken down and he hadn't, um, you know, borrowed one from the or whatever the case was from the used car salesman? What if his car had never been broken into and he didn't file a report with the police, which eventually led to his NCAA violation coming out? Um And he just had such a crazy work ethic that they, you know, talked about so, so much. And as soon as all of this happened and he was basically just banned from Ohio State and went downhill, it just made me wonder what if that stuff hadn't happened and he had just continued on the path as, you know, one of the greatest freshmen running backs in the history of the NCAA. And um, would we know him as like a Hall of Fame running back um, in, in today's NFL or? Uh, would would you know drinking have caught up with him in a different way? and just just a ton of what- ifs about with this documentary, I feel like,
0: yeah, I really did present a whole bunch of you know thought-provoking stuff and all, really a lot of questions, like you said. Uh, I didn't really remember this specific story that well. Um, I, I kind of missed it, I guess. I, I definitely knew Tr- Jim Trestle. obviously, he he was there for a long time at Ohio State. And I had heard, definitely heard Maurice Squaret before the name, but um, I didn't really know. And then, yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering. I was like, wait, should I? Should I know who won this national champ? Did we watch uh, something that's? But uh, that other one we watched was about be a different edition of that um, Miami team. But yeah, no, a lot of interesting stuff kind of happening. Um, a lot of questions that they they pose, but maybe didn't answer. I thought. Um, they did bring in um, the NCAA, a couple people in charge of regulations and rules and infractions and whatever to interview them. And and I don't feel like we learned anything from them and I kind of had issue with that because that seemed like what they were trying to really investigate was, was Andy Geiger the AD just on a witch hunt to get Claret out of there because Claret had um, called him out for not letting him go home for this one funeral that he wanted to. And so that's kind of how it was portrayed, but we didn't really flesh that out uh, as well. I, I do think the AD kind of was on a, I don't know, it was crazy um, how that all went out. I, do, I did have major issue with a whole bunch of the production. Overall, it was super long. Um, it was now almost two hours and uh, it really didn't need to be, I mean, it, it, it could have been a solid hour plus, because there was a lot of stuff they wanted to cover. Um but they didn't they they it was it was too long. Um and and the interviews were not appealing to the eye. <laughs> there was some weird weird choices there.
2: One Did of the in so far what one of the weirdest interview setups we've seen so far where specifically when you know they're interviewing somebody and then they have a still picture of Maurice Claret next to the person so it's as if they're trying to make it like that person is talking to a picture of Maurice Claret
0: yeah and they're just like panning like they're doing these zooms and pans and and weird effects with just like clips from when these interviewees are just sitting there and and one time one's like one someone's crying and they just cut that in and and sometimes it's over them talking. Sometimes it's over someone else talking. And then they put these videos of prison uh, bars in the background sometimes, and and they have these like three different cameras shooting it from different angles, but uh, all very similar angles, and all just to have all these weird, weird cutaways with dramatic lighting. Uh, and so it, honestly, it took me out of it a lot of the time. I
1: felt I felt like at times it was like that gif of like another one and then another one and then where it's like turns into one and then two and four, eight. And it was just like the one person would say something in the interview and then they would say one other thing and they'd be coming from like the left side and then they'd come from the right side. And I like couldn't keep up.
0: I know. But it was weird. and. A lot of it too. Pretty much every interview was brought into this this room where they had a green screen and made this. It seemed like um, for two hours. They, I did appreciate how they had his mom. She gave us a whole bunch of good sound. If we're talking about interviews, um, they had they did have good ones. They had they had kind of both sides of it. I suppose they didn't have. If we're talking about the AD, they didn't have him. Andy Geiger. I, I forgot to look up if he's still there. I doubt he's still the AD, but maybe he is. Um, I doubt it because eventually they reconciled with the, with the athletic department. Jim Trestle was was a, a fixture in this, as we mentioned. Um, I, he, he, I thought he would say more because it seemed like they gave him opportunity to say what he wanted and maybe he just didn't want to say much, but I, I feel like we didn't learn as much as we should have from his. Um, I feel like since this was about Cl- Claret and Trestle, we probably could have pared it down to talking with them more. Claret wasn't interviewed, at least wasn't used. His sound wasn't used nearly as much as it should have been. So those are just some of my criticisms of the production. Um, if I, I one more thing, actually, they had a ton of great video that they found. They had video of him in prison, uh, like a time lapse of him. So I have no idea how they got that, um, how they were allowed to have that. But that's a major, it really helped the production quality
2: yeah I completely agree that was a really cool scene um interviews definitely got really long they probably could have cut 20 minutes off the dock by just shortening some of the interviews or lessening the amount of people that were interviewed um one positive as far as the production goes that I wanted to make note of is just um when they pulled all the old um radio bits and newscasts and stuff from when Um, Maurice Claret was first getting in trouble, or from when there was controversy over whether a freshman should be starting at running back for Ohio State, they went like deep into the archives and found some really great um, bits and old takes that I thought was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, they did. I mean, there's just so many different little um, BCD storylines that, you know, there's the whole Gene Wojcowski story where he was turned against the, some of the Ohio State faithful. I mean, don't get me started on college football fans, but um, him saying, you know, I want to. i Yeah, when asked if he would go straight to the NFL, if that was an option, he would say, yeah, I would consider it. And all of a sudden he's, you know, enemy number one in Ohio. Um, there's just so many little storylines that, you know, we can't touch on them all. But it, I mean, there was a lot to talk about and probably too much, like we mentioned, but um uh, so let's just dive a little bit more into Jim Tressel. Sam, I feel like you want to say something about him. Well, how do we come out of this one feeling? Because he kind of went on a, I mean, they started as he's the, you know, he's our savior at the beginning. And then he kind of went down and up. And I mean, it was kind of a weird roller coaster they went on.
2: First off, did he win a national title in his first year at Ohio State? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I have that. I was like, imagine like that's unheard of.
2: That is disgusting. Undefeated season,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, no wonder he's a legend there. Um, Say that again? Immortality right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, you have to be an awesome coach. And, like, obviously the roster must have been pretty set when he came in. But just to come in and win a national title in your first year just shows that you're a really quality football coach. Um, Yeah, as far as – the whole storyline, they should have gone into it more. I agree, but I'm glad that the focus was on Maurice Claret. I think his story was more interesting. Um, I don't know. What did, what did you guys feel like during his interview? Did he come across as sincere? Was he trying to like cover his butt in a lot of the interviews? Uh, trying to save his job. At one point, they talked about how he didn't really defend Maurice Claret because he was worried about his job security, which makes sense if he'd only been there a year. But what was your take on him?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I was alluding to that I wanted to hear more from him, not about his about his life, but just about his involvement with Maurice Claret. And yeah, why didn't he stick up for him? Why wasn't he asked this question in this documentary? Um, and if he was, there, he had this one line where he, at the end of the movie where he's like, when something terrible happens in most cases in life, um, a lot of people have played a role uh, I'm paraphrasing but that's pretty much it and uh it was kind of his he, he wouldn't go farther than that I thought he was going to say you know what I do have some regrets like that's the very least you could say I thought uh, about not reaching out about not re- maintaining a relationship when Claret was going downhill about not fighting for him potentially to uh, as they presented in the movie kind of get suspended and just excommunicated when it I don't know if there was specific, like they just kept suspending him further and further. Like it was just at their discretion what they wanted to do. Um, and so there was there was weird things there. And maybe maybe I don't know the story as well about like the rules that were broken exactly because they didn't lay them out specifically in dates and times and numbers. But yeah, I, I feel like Jim Trestle in the beginning, he was this father figure and he was this guy who was in the community and he was a kindred spirit, even said, with him and, and Clorette. And then he was just gone and, and never and didn't talk to him until they reunited at the end, Nick.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh how the documentary, you know, portrayed them to be, you know, uh like you know, best buddies, or you know, he was meeting with Clorette uh frequently outside and just talking football. And he was looking out for his best interests once he got into the little uh, into the limelight saying you know this is uh what could be your failure and um just trying to guide him to success and then all of a sudden once he had some adversity then he just you know like ditched him basically so it was kind of hard to understand if that if it is that the accurate story is that just how the documentary is portraying it um and more to you know be on claret's side of uh you know that he was truly out and and not Um, supported by anyone or he was out on that island that they were mentioning so um, I don't know it would be interesting to hear Trestle's answers on those questions like you said Ren Um, but
0: and why didn't I mean this is a bit this is my biggest question that wasn't answered is why didn't he transfer was that because he was suspended and because he was suspended couldn't he have played that out for sophomore season then transferred I know there was, you know, a, a sit-out rule back then or whatever, but it didn't seem like that was ever presented as an option, and it was weird.
2: I was wondering that, too, the whole situation, because it basically went, yeah, one of the greatest freshman seasons of all time, winning a national title to, oh, can't enter the NFL draft, can't play as a sophomore, but then, yeah, what happened to his junior year?
0: I mean, I, I guess now I'm thinking about it more. It really, I mean, people really didn't transfer as much as they do nowadays and that's a given right. but i suppose he might have only had his senior year theoretically his sit-out year would have had to be at had that junior year after he was suspended for the entire maybe, sophomore year maybe um yeah. yeah
1: i think that you know transfer rules then it was like you had to sit out for a year or he could probably have went to a lesser division or something so d1 double a or d2 um, I think he was really tied up with the, um, uh, with the appeal to the NFL trying to get in. And I think that took, you know, all of the, all of his focus away. Um, I, I don't know, this could be bad memory or just, you know, me relying on my memory as a kid, but I feel like it was like a really long drawn out process, uh, for his appeal. It wasn't like kind of seemed in the documentary where it was like, Oh yeah, this was decided. And then he had a lot of time to um, you know, figure things out. I think if it happened nowadays, he probably could have transferred a lot easier and there would have been much less NCAA restriction and in, in, in that, but...
2: Did either of you remember Mike Williams from USC? I was really excited when I saw Mike Williams. Yeah, he oh, yeah. And, yeah I remember, to, like, thinking he was the coolest player in video games and stuff, and I remember that he had a fight with the NFL, too, um, but I didn't remember that they coincided so well, him and Maurice Claret...
0: Yeah, this would have played out so much differently. I mean, even just from the jump, like they would have known the bad optics of not allowing him to go home um, and and see his 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 friend that was killed or whatever, and um, that would just because people have more uh, athletes now in the NCAA have much more power and much more influence and are able to they're more respected more so. Uh, that wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been just kind of fighting for his rights (laughs) or however you want to describe it and so this probably never would have even happened as far as getting suspended and getting getting mad at you and also i do think nowadays trestle um probably would have felt much more free to uh speak up for his player um Mm. who knows if he would have but yes it was his first year he just won a national championship though. like they're not gonna fire him especially nowadays um, for something like this um, or, you know, whatever it may be, but yeah, it's, it's it was, it's kind of a weird thing that I feel like in so many for so many reasons could never have happened today.
1: One more thing. I was just reading a little bit um, or researching about the whole uh, dismissal and then transferring thought, but once he was dismissed from Ohio state, then he moved to Los Angeles and they were appealing at that time. But I think he uh, hired these agents they use the NCAA used that as a reason that he was a professional athlete because he hired agents and didn't let him back into co- back into college.
0: I wonder when on the timeline that was. Was that the same year? Like when that was. That
2: was
1: well, he sued to be in two thousand four draft. I'm
0: not sure, but and then there's
1: another scandal. They said in. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to I, I might have missed some of the doc as far as like what scandals he was a part of, but I felt like they didn't do a good job of of saying oh this is like what his allegations were. Yeah, this was is. the specific stuff because here it says that he was in an academic scandal as well at Ohio State, getting preferential treatment from professors and not going to classes and yada yada yada. Yeah, but,
0: never mentioned that. So yeah, I mean yeah. It- but yeah, no, I mean, it's very complicated and that's kind of why we're rambling on about it and that's probably why they did too. documentary. Do we have any other major things we want to hit on? Um, Sam?
2: Yeah, I wanted to just make mention of one more thing from the doc that I thought was interesting was they kept, or Maurice Claret kept referring to LeBron and how oh, yeah. they both Eric. grew up northeast Ohio um, right around the same time and LeBron um, was making like, he signed a shoe deal for like 120 million and was the face of the NBA. Meanwhile, like Maurice Claret was 19 years old and not able to play in the NCAA and just how we, if different, the systems were between the NFL and the NBA. Yeah. yeah. I thought
1: that was a fascinating points of the stock uh, that I had never, never known or don't remember at least. Um, and just the fact that, uh, you know they were. he was so close to LeBron and just think of that uh that difference in I mean equal talent level right um but just the different sports and how big of a role that played um and, and then you're talking about competitors where you're like you know athletes where they're just competitors and they have that mindset of like you know wanting to be the best or um you know, wanting to equal or better your friend or be in the same situation. And it's not like it's, oh, they just won a championship. I mean, we're talking $120 million plus and like, that's a huge deal. And, you know, I feel like all athletes, I mean, this extends to like any of us that played sports and, you know, high school or, or college, like, I feel like you look back with, with some regret, you're like, oh, I could have, you know, been better if I would have done this. And so I feel like it kind of hits that too of Claret's like, well, like this is dumb. Like you're, you know, I could have been, yeah, or I could be, or should be where he's at or making what he is making, but it's these dumb rules and that aren't in my favor.
0: Yeah. With a couple different, uh, you know, things happening. They, there could have been like the top star in the NFL and the top star in the NBA could have come out almost the same time of, of the, the same region of the same state. Like, how crazy is that? All right, let's get into the rating. Uh, I'll go first. It's pretty, it's low for me, uh, if we're comparing it to my others, 5.35 over the phone blog posts because when he was in prison, he, he made a blog. that got tons of hits, but he had to call his girlfriend and relay, dictate what he wanted her to write. Like he was an old school reporter filing a breaking news story. Um, um, yeah, 5.35 just because there's too many unanswered questions. Um, they got in the weeds with the timeline. Um, and I w- I couldn't tell when this was happening, about half, half of the documentary. Like after they won the national championship, they went back in time and they didn't really tell us. Um, and there was just so much, it was just confusing at least I was confused but I'm not that smart um so yeah it not that not that high for me just because of some of the production and uh, a lot of it was it was a good story for sure but that can't carry it alone so Sam how about you?
2: Ren you make some good points and you make me kind of want to adjust my rating but I'm sticking to my guns and I have this rated high um I I really liked it even though it was an hour and 42 minutes I there was only one point, like, I think right around like the 40, 50 minute mark where I was like, this is getting a little bit long, but otherwise I was pretty into it for the majority of of the time. Um, I, I enjoyed the aspect of remembering it from childhood, but not really knowing the details of it and being filled in on it. I agree with you. The timeline was a little bit confusing, but, um, it was definitely a story worth telling and, There was a lot of different aspects to it, so I understand why it had to be long like we're we're rambling on on it, and it is a complex subject. Um, And it just brings a lot of different conversations, the what ifs I was talking about earlier and also just, um, you know, college eligibility and whether you should be able to turn pro it it starts a whole lot of of different conversations, while still telling this two fantastic stories um along with the national championship so i'm giving this one 8.13 what ifs wow that's high i know it's one of my highest in a while but i I just left uh feeling pretty good about it so
0: all right nick uh
1: i like this one more than you ran i i wanted to like this more but for the you know reasons that you had mentioned i i did dock it some um, just because some of the interviews, you know, were weird, um, or unnecessary, I felt like the brothers didn't really give much either. I didn't know what to think of the mom the whole time. I don't know what you guys thought. But I was just like, I don't know, she didn't have any emotion the whole time. And then I just think of like, he couldn't have had the best life, like I don't know, I, I didn't want to criticize her. But I felt like I found myself doing so just because she's like, yeah, like, I don't know what his issue was, and then he's, like, going downhill, and, but then she would say that he was, that they were close, I don't know. Anyways, just a little, um, Stuff there and then some of the interviews with like I love docs that have like the low life interview, right? So there's like the yeah, I was hanging out with him and we were partying with porn stars. Like, like I I am so glad that you signed up for this documentary and that you're arrogant enough to think that like you're a good part of this, like you weren't the worst thing, or uh, or the other like um the Jewish guy that just gave him all the money in the world and just to hang out with you. That just rubbed me wrong too. Um uh-huh. so I,
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say I thought that guy was gonna screw him over at the end. I thought they were setting us up for he was like he invested all this money into his training for the NFL draft, and then I thought he was gonna, you know, scam him out of it just because yeah. I feel like that's a story we've seen in so many of these documentaries. But, just but because that's how they presented him in the documentary, it's kind of that kind of character he formerly arrested it for being like a mobster or something
2: but isn't it so easy to see why like a 19 year old went downhill really fast when you have characters like that being introduced and he's like famous and also feels like the world is against him, and he can't do anything for the next two years. Like no wonder why he, he went downhill and, and then he's hanging out with 50 cents and Snoop
1: dog and corn <laughs> stars yeah. and whatever else. Yeah. Um, sorry (laughs) what no you guys are good um and then just to piggyback off of what you were saying sam too i i feel like this does i mean we could sit here and talk for an hour just based off of like themes of this so like what do you guys think of like the future of the ncaa would look like um you know what is a coach's responsibility to his athletes like just a lot of things that we could you know discuss and so i like that um perspective or just that option i guess but anyways back to the rating um i'm thinking or i'm i'm gonna put it at 7.6 uh jim brown's gangsters um that was that was pretty entertaining um i felt like there was a lot of like you know one liner things that i could choose from but jim brown's gangsters um what he where he sends to check in on clarice or uh uh, maurice and uh i thought that was pretty pretty hilarious we forgot to talk about like,
0: jim brown came into the picture and like, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like jesse jackson brought him yeah. like because yeah. all of a sudden jesse jackson shows up because there's a lawsuit and, and then jim brown like character assassinates andy geiger the ad and it all goes kind of downhill from there um a the couple of things that i've just been reminded of um is that i wanted to mention that jim Trestle is now the youngstown state president. Um, He's not in an athletic um, role anymore. He he was with the University of Akron and now he's back at Youngstown State as their president with only a master's degree, which is kind of crazy for someone in that role. Um, But yeah, Sam, go ahead with our our math.
2: So we rated this one 7.02 and it is ranked 20th now. 20th out
0: of 54. Um okay, fair enough.
2: Which I think I think that's very fitting.
0: Let's move on to our next segment, which is our Mount Rushmore. And we're gonna do Mount Rushmore of signs we're getting old. Um it kind of speaks for itself, so we'll just jump right in. So Sam, Nick, me, Sam, start us off.
2: All right, I'm gonna take this one right off the bat. Uh shout out to uh Addy on this one. But when your friends start having kids. That's, that's when you know you're getting old I oh, am
1: yeah. she appreciates that shout out <laughs> no uh, alright so next one I am going to go with uh, when you're excited to go to bed before 10 o'clock
2: <laughs> like right
0: now right <laughs> but the Olympics are um, I'm confused
1: <laughs> recorded <laughs>
0: no <laughs> uh okay i mine is, is um this spans a whole bunch of different situations but when athletes are post-peak at your age so like i mean even <laughs> the olympics so like this person's 28 yeah this versus 28 it's uh it's it's surprising they've made it this far in their career or they're about to retire and then this a tangent of that would be you know all these athletes that you saw when they were kids or whatever and now they're retiring um yeah there's a hundred examples of all these kind of things it's crazy
1: or like I, lebron james or tom brady retiring and
2: yes yeah. yeah i definitely feel this one ren um i'm like the i'm such a big nfl draft nerd and like a few years ago i was like oh wait i'm like three or four years older than these players now, and now it's like I'm like seven years older than the people getting drafted. Yeah,
0: and you're probably seeing people that you, you know, you followed in college retiring now, and well, and have been retired. You know, like that. You're like, oh, when are these people going to get drafted? And now they're like, yeah, I'm toast. Man,
2: or like um, anton Winfield Jr. Like we watched his yeah. dad, play, and now he's like you know been in the nfo for two years that's so weird i know
0: okay my next one is is making a noise Uh, when i stand up (laughs) Uh,
2: that has been
0: happening for a couple years but like it's actually a real thing that i do and i don't know but like it's (laughs) (laughs) it's a cliche and it's kind of weird
2: (laughs) that's hilarious
1: yeah that's a great one um mine is going to be like you hate like going to noisy bars or concerts because you just want it to be a little more mellow yeah
2: good
1: one or you want to be able to talk
2: okay i got back to back this one this one really hit home for me today um my niece got her driver's license today (laughs) this is kind of why i thought of it in the first place but um when your niece turns 16 and gets her driver's license like that is very mind-blowing because it doesn't feel like it was like that long ago where she was like four or five and I was taking her to the movies or something you know
0: oh that reminds me of just like you know when you used to be annoyed as a little kid I remember vividly like like meeting my parents friends I'm like oh I remember when you were in diapers or whatever and now sometimes I'll meet people that I met when I was like a teenager and I'll think that I'll be like make sure you don't embarrass them by saying I knew you would right after you were born or whatever but that like (laughs) is a real experience now
2: (laughs) that's awesome um signs are getting old okay so I guess this one um I'm trying to figure out how I want to phrase or like word this but you like make an effort to avoid hangovers because you know they're going to be worse these days than they used to be. Like back in the day, there's no way that I was going to, you know, slow down thinking of the next morning, really. I was just like, whatever, I'm young, it'll be fine. But now, like, you have a few drinks and you start to be like, ooh, like, this is, I kind of want to go to bed or this is going to hurt tomorrow.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that's or
2: contemplating
1: bit. risk versus reward
2: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> drinking risk versus reward I like that yeah.
0: <laughs> I had a variation of that I would just said like not wanting to get drunk just because you don't want to like you, <laughs> <laughs> like for no real reason just like yeah
1: all right uh, next so I'm gonna go along with that that line of logic but alcohol makes you sleepy more than gets you going <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yep. Um, I'm going to go with, well, I'm going to title this one just mumble rap, but it's basically not understanding current music trends, pop pop music trends, um, and because it's the cliche where it's like, oh, back in my day, you, music used to be better, um, and for me, especially that is with a lot of the rap nowadays, it's just so easy, it's just like a catchy beat, but uh, yeah, and, but that makes me feel old to think those thoughts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no doubt. like um, This will be on the oldie station someday.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, I'm la- so my last one is going to be thinking, like, here's my example. Like, I go to a whole bunch of high school sport- sporting events, right? Thinking the high school kids look, like, really... Young, like there's just like kids that you think, oh that. I, if you told me that kid was like twelve, I'd be like, just kind of not understanding what like these kids look so young and they're like junior in high school, um, or just younger kids. Just I mean, just not knowing like how young what an age looks like it's confusing. And <laughs> used like when I was a kid, you could you could nail it right away. But you know, you like you know how old people are by just how they look.
2: Oh yeah. I completely agree. Now working in high school, I work with sophomores and I'm definitely like, you look like you're 12.
1: <laughs> I had that one as well. It's so like, whether it's college age kids too, I feel like they look so young and yeah. Um, this one I'm kind of stealing from, uh, from the commercials on TV where you think you're, or you, when you know you're becoming your parents or, um and the guy's trying to counsel everyone but with the parking situation when you go to a, a sporting event and you're trying to figure out where to park
2: <laughs> i
1: definitely got myself doing that so
2: <laughs> or the, you're talking about the commercial where the guy's like can you imagine how much money they make yeah
1: exactly and then parking comments too
0: <laughs> he's like so we're gonna leave uh in the third quarter, right? And he's like, he's like, let's not talk about leaving before we've even gone. Before it. the game
2: starts. <laughs> That's hilarious. I
0: love it.
1: I love those commercials. They're, they're really good.
0: <laughs> he goes with the guy in the grocery store, and he's just like, Gary and produce was very helpful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right after he's like, did you just change these blades back here? <laughs>
2: uh, you're just so relatable. Like, you're like, that is something that my dad does or whatever. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. So cool too. Last but not least, I'm going to go with refusal to get the latest social media.
0: Mm-hmm. That was on mine too.
2: Like, I refuse to get TikTok because I'm just like, I already waste time on social media and I don't need another one. And so I'm like falling behind the latest trends, but I'm like purposely doing it.
0: I know I've been fighting the same way. I've almost
2: gotten it a couple of times, but I still have Mm-hmm. Same here. Okay. Mount Rushmore of signs we're getting old. I went with your friends started having kids. Your niece gets your driver's license. Uh, drinking risks versus rewards. Uh, refusal to get the latest social media. Rudy went with uh, you're excited to go to bed before 10 p.m. You hate noisy bars or concerts. Uh Alcohol gets you sleepy instead of ramped up and uh, thinking about the parking situations at sporting events. Ren went with athletes are past peak at, at your age um, groaning or moaning when you stand up Uh, mumble ramp rap, you said, right?
0: Yeah, basically
2: not understanding today's music or necessarily liking it. And then thinking that high schoolers looked extremely young.
0: Excellent. Uh, okay, let's move on to our uh, documentary wish list. Um, I, I'll go for, for this week's episode. Um, going back to the Olympics, um, let's go back to uh, 2006. 2006. I was uh, 11 at the time watching the Winter Olympics and it was the debut of Snowboard Cross. Um, Watching Lindsey Jacob Ellis, who I wanna pitch as to have this documentary. Um, Last night, she kind of completed the doc, uh, completed the story by winning gold, finally uh, in her fifth Olympic games. Um, Back in 2006, when I was 11, I was watching it and I was completely devastated when she, she was gonna win, she was 20 years old, she's this biggest star in the sport, um, tweaks out like a method or something um, uh, on the last or second to last hit, you know, kind of showboats basically, falls and gets silver. She, should, she was ahead by a time, should have gotten gold. Um, I was completely devastated. I was like, I I was like, just, I couldn't even wrap my head around how, and she was, was too, obviously, like, it wasn't happening to me, but I was just watching. And so last night, watching at, like, 2 a.m., she finally won it all. She had fallen a couple times in her previous um, Olympic runs since 2006. She had been three times after that, so this was her fifth. Wow. and she finally won it all, um, so it, it was just this, and I, so I was, like, emotional watching it, basically, is what I'm trying to say, like, this kind of goes back to the Sean White thing, is I've been watching her since I was 11, now, only every four years, because, I mean, it's a smaller sport than, than snow the uh, half bite. but I, I watched her, you know, every four years since I was 11, um, and it's starting with that kind of, uh, tragic ending to her gold medal run and then finishing with an actual gold medal. um, It it writes itself, obviously. Um, She said injuries, whatever, but the pure drama of the beginning uh, of her failure um, on that mistake she made, and then just wrapping it up with a gold medal, probably her last Olympics. um, Maybe not, but probably um, like it was just, and for a lot of people, I'm sure it was just, you know, create, for an Olympics fan, like, that's the perfect story. And um, it was just crazy, like, how, react, how much of a reaction I personally had just to watching that in bed in the middle of the night, just um, with how, you know, insignificant it is to act my actual life. Um, it was super cool and a great sports story, I think.
2: That's crazy that she's been to five yeah Thank you. but super cool that she got the monkey off her back and
0: yeah and obviously like she had been interviewed about it a hundred times she said she had been over it and, but kept you know not quite getting the job done and you know maybe she had completely put it behind her but probably you know it's pretty impossible to completely do that um so yeah it was just a very cool full circle thing
2: super cool all
0: right, uh, Sam, what are we got next uh, podcast?
2: We are on episode 59. It's called, speaking of gold, it's called The Price of Gold. Um, from January 16th, 2014, we're into the 2014s now, guys. Uh, it's a profile of a January 6th, 1994 incident at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships where an unknown attacker strikes entrant Nancy Kerrigan an assailant that is later revealed to be a hitman hired by the ex-husband of Kerrigan's rival, Tanya Harding, as part of a plan to prevent Kerrigan from competing in the 1994 Winter Olympics.
0: As I'm watching the Olympics on my phone, uh, yeah, that's, that's coinciding hatefully uh, I guess. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Alright, we'll look forward to Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, uh, next podcast. Uh, thanks for listening.